Good to be with you this morning to open up God's Word together. So go ahead and grab your Bibles or devices and turn to the book of Mark. Mark is found in the New Testament. It is the second book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark. Uh, Go there if you have a hard time. Go to the table of contents. That's why God gave it to us. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 27. Now, while you're turning there, I want to go ahead and give you a little bit of a context of where we find our passage this morning. This account is actually shared in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we find our account that we're going to look at today specifically in Mark. Now, Jesus has been with his disciples for about two and a half years of ministry, traveling together. So that means that they've, they've woken up together, they have walked everywhere together, they've done ministry together, and they have gone and done everything for two and a half years together as a group. And what the things that the disciples got to experience is that they got to sit under countless teaching under Jesus. They got to hear Jesus teach to thousands upon thousands of people, but then also were privileged to sit in a small group with just the 12 of them. They got to watch Jesus go toe-to-toe with the Pharisees, calling out their hypocrisy and misuse and abuse of the Scriptures. See, they got to see Jesus do incredible miracles. See, they got to watch Him heal people. He got to watch the the lame get up and walk. He watched the mute begin to speak and then see the blind open their eyes and see for the first time. See, they got to sit and watch Jesus do miracles like being on the boat of a raging storm and Jesus say, be still and everything calms down. They got to watch Jesus walk on water and meet them there, right there in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And then they got to get their tummies full while seeing Jesus feed the 5,000 with just a few loaves of bread and two fish. They got to experience some incredible things with Jesus. And so that we find ourselves in our passage as they are walking down the road. And Jesus, as usual, takes this opportunity to have a conversation, a teaching moment with his disciples. And so that's where we pick it up. Mark chapter 8. Verse 27, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them, to tell no one about him. See, it's easy to read our, our text this morning and say, of course they would say he's the Christ. So of all the things they experienced, and it's easy for us to put ourselves in their shoes of like, why wouldn't they say that? But we forget that we have the entire context of the scriptures. We know and see clearly how Jesus fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament. We've seen the story on play from birth into where he's now in this ministry, and we know where he's going to go with the next steps into his death and resurrection. We know about the future prophecies of things to come and the ending of the world and the reestablishment of the new heavens and the new kingdoms. We get to know these truths through God's word. But the disciples didn't know those things yet. And even though they had experienced some incredible and miraculous things, they also had to experience the untraining of things that they had been taught what the Messiah was. They, they expected the Messiah to come as a conquering hero to overthrow Rome, but he didn't. They had expectations that he would come and reestablish a new law and a new kingdom, 
but he didn't. And so as he ex- they walked with Jesus during these times, they got to see things more closely and dear to his heart. And so for the disciples, it just wasn't that simple of an answer. And so many people in that time didn't know exactly who Jesus was, even those who were close to him. And see, Jesus wasn't concerned about what people were saying about him. He was looking for the, you know, the most up-to-date gossip about who people say he was or if he was trending on the latest post. He, he didn't care about these things. What he wanted to do, he wanted to teach his disciples. See, Jesus didn't need to know these things because he already knew these things. Jesus is the Christ. He is God in flesh. He is sovereign, all-knowing. He knew exactly what people said to him and would say to him from the beginning of time. But what Jesus wanted is the disciples and for you and I to be able to grasp and understand what people come from and people may say about him so that we may have a better understanding of who he is. And so for people to consider Jesus to be John the Baptist or Elijah or even one of the prophets wasn't an intentional insult because these were well-respected and admired men of faith. They had done incredible things proclaiming God's truth and God's glory, but they were short by one thing. They were not the Christ. They were not the Messiah. They were not Jesus. And so it's quickly to dismiss this idea for us that people would even mistake who Jesus is but let's bring a little closer to home because even in today's world, today's culture, often we find people who have a misunderstanding of who Jesus is. And I'm not just talking about the people who completely reject Jesus altogether. I'm not referring to the atheists or agnostics. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about people maybe a little closer that we may interact with. So take, for example, Muslims. Muslims believe in Jesus. Muslims believe that Jesus was a messenger of God. They believe that he was actually the Messiah who was sent to bring a new scripture message to the children of Israel referred to as the gospel. Doesn't that sound familiar? See, Jesus actually, some argue, referred more times than Muhammad in the Quran. But they still miss who Jesus is. Now, only second to Salt Lake City, our valley is known as one of the most populated areas for Mormons. And so many of you, I'm sure, have friends or coworkers or neighbors who believe in Mormonism. And so let's see what they believe about Jesus. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the creator of the world. They believe that Jesus lived a perfect, immortal life that set the ultimate example for you and I to follow. A lot of the words and terminology that they use to explain Jesus and talk about their faith, being Christians, as they say, is very similar to us but they have some unique beliefs about Jesus. See, they don't believe that Jesus and God were one. They believe they were two separate distinct entities. They believe that Jesus lived as a spirit child prior to coming and being born on earth. They also believe that Jesus came to America and evangelized during his time in ministry here. And that the reestablishment, when he comes to set up the new Jerusalem, and it's actually going to be in America and not actually in Israel. You see, when we dig a little deeper, they don't understand who Jesus is either. Sounds familiar and similar, but very different. 
But what about cultural Christians? What about the people who say they're Christians, but they don't believe Jesus is the Son of God? They believe he was a man. They believe he was a good man. They may believe he was even one of the prophets and that his teachings should be followed as suggestions, but they actually don't seek to live by them. See, they, they may come and show up on Christmas Eve or Easter, but that's the only extent of their relationship and their faith. Or what about those who show up on Sunday, every single Sunday, and they sing and they pray and they amen the sermons, but as soon as they leave those doors, nothing reflects their relationship with Christ. Do they truly know who Jesus is and what he died for? See, it's easy to get caught up in the idea of just knowing of Jesus, but missing having a relationship with Jesus. See, as a pastor, I'm blessed to have pastor's kids. And so I have four kiddos and two of them, Kaylee and Elijah, have come to know the Lord. But I gotta be honest, they've been saying that they're Christians for a lot longer than they really were. See, they were born into the church. They, they attended church from the very first day that they could go. And so my kids have heard teachings and been in Sunday school and knew all the Sunday school answers. They knew every answer is Jesus. I, I remember Kaylee used to get her Bible and pretend like she was reading to us and just sing, Jesus loves me, which sounds very similar to what the Bible says. And I remember Elijah would constantly tell us how much that he loved Jesus and believed in him. But as his parents, we knew that there was something missing. We knew that he fully didn't grasp what it meant for Jesus to be his Lord and Savior. He hadn't fully come and experienced repentance. And it was in this moment where we were at kids camp a few years ago and the gospel was shared and they had a time of response and I was standing up there and as soon as they said amen, Elijah jumps up and runs straight to me. And I looked down at him and said, all right, buddy, why are you come down here? Because let's be honest, Elijah was no stranger to coming forward during the response times. Here at church, I remember he would come and ask, like, and someone were good, he'd be like, daddy, I, I was mean to my sister today. I need, I need to pray for God to forgive me. And so we'd pray together. Then he would come and say, Daddy, I want to pray for mommy, and we would pray for mommy. And then, Daddy, I want to pray for a puppy. God's going to say no until he didn't. And his daddy finally gave in, and we got a puppy. And so God answered his prayers with that one. And so I never knew what Elijah was going to come forward to and pray about. And so when he came forward, I said, Elijah, buddy, what, why did you come forward tonight? And he says, Daddy, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I said, okay, because we'd been here before we talked about this. And I said, what does that mean to you? And not quickly answering and, and being all excited as some are, he stops and he paused and bowed his head just a little bit. And then he looks back at me and says, Daddy, I need God to take my bad and give me his good. It was that moment that my son experienced repentance for the first time. He understood what it meant to have a life-changing relationship with Jesus. He understood that there was nothing within his own power, his own strength that he could do to earn a right relationship with God. See, I know there's those listening who may not have a relationship with Jesus. And you may be experiencing, you may have said, hey, when you were describing some of those people who think this about Jesus, you were describing one of me. See, I recognize that I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. 
I recognize I may have some knowledge, I may know a few things, or I may know a lot, but nothing in my life reflects any type of relationship with him. I just wanna speak to you just for a moment. See, God loves you so very much. See, he sent his son to die on the cross because you, just like me, were unable to save ourselves. See, me and you are both cursed with sin. And sin is anything that we, could be the little white lie that we say or the, the thoughts that we shouldn't have, the actions, the way that we treat people. Even the small little sins like that keep us from having a relationship with God. And God knew that we were unable to fix this ourselves. We needed the ultimate sacrifices. We needed someone who was perfect and blameless to come and sacrifice our life so that we could have a relationship with him. We needed Jesus to come and take our bad and put it upon himself on the cross so that we could take his good and be in right standing with God. That's what Jesus came to do for you. And so if you want to know more about this, I would love to answer any questions you have. You're going to find my email on the screen right now. It's hogue at fsbcs.org. Send me an email, and I would love to answer any questions and talk you through what it means to have a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Uh, it would thrill my heart but to do that with you today. Now, our passage doesn't end. It, it goes on as Jesus is talking to his disciples. You see, in this moment, they've been together for two and a half years, and it's finally, it's the climax of Jesus' ministry with his disciples. There's a turning point that's going to happen after this conversation. Now, up to this point, Jesus was trying to teach his disciples of who he was. They were trying to reveal to him being the Son of God. He wanted them to be able to see that and recognize it, because what was coming next would take unbelievable faith and knowledge of who Jesus was to be able to continue on. Because shortly after, he's going to begin teaching them about his death and resurrection that was coming. He was soon going to be teaching them that I am going away. I'm not going to be here with you. Only months away, you will see me crucified on a cross and then ascend to heaven. And I will leave you to continue on the work that I have taught you. And so he's here in this moment. And so he asked them a question. In verse 29, Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter, being the, the honorary spokesman for the disciples, he answers quickly saying, you are the Christ. And that's the question that we have before us today. Who do you say Jesus is? Who is Jesus and how is he reflected in your life? Can we boldly answer that Jesus is the Christ? And can your actions back that up? As they say, a picture speaks a thousand words, our actions speak louder as well. You see, this word Christ is, is a unique word here that in the original Greek language, it could be translated as Christ, Messiah, or the anointed one. Now there are certain offices and roles and positions um, in the community that were anointed. And that was the prophet, the priest and the king. And so what Peter is trying to point out to us is that Jesus is all these things for you and I. See, Peter's confession as Messiah recognized that Jesus is the prophet who reveals to us God's will. See, God's will is clearly defined to us in the Great Commission. 
which is simply put that we are to love God above all things and then love others. And so the question that we have for us today, are we loving others by sharing them the love of God? You know, are we willing to step out of our comfort zones and not just meet the, the needs of someone, but are we willing to have an uncomfortable conversation with a coworker, a family member, um, whoever it may be, a neighbor, about the life-changing relationship with Jesus? Are we willing to talk to them about the eternity? If we believe that Jesus is the Christ and we believe that he is the, our prophet who knows all these things and, and, and is leading us to do God's will, we must share God's love with others. And we love God the most when we love others by sharing his faith, his love with them. See, John 13, 34 and 35 encourages us with this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. How did he love us? He sent his son to die for us. He sent a model of life of what it meant to share his love and his truth with others. And you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The greatest way to express the love to those in our community is to lead them to life-changing hope of Jesus. They will know we are his disciples by our love. Do people know you by your love? See, Jesus is also seen as the priest, the priest who sacrifices himself to atone for our sin. See, the role of the priest in the Old Testament was to go before the Lord, worship him, and then offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people to cover their sins. And see, Jesus was the last and the ultimate sacrifice needed for our sins. See, there's no more other sacrifices needed to re that can replace him because he was perfectly blameless. He was completely without sin. See, you and I have this sin nature that carries on with us. That before we have a right relationship with God, that we are walking in our flesh and within our sin. But it is when we come to a life-saving relationship with Jesus, that is when our sins are atoned for, just like when the priest would atone for the sins of the sacrifice. Jesus takes our bad upon himself to give us his good. That's what it means for Jesus to be our priest and to atone for our sins. We also know that Jesus is the King of kings who is Lord over all creation. See, Jesus just didn't begin when he was born in Bethlehem and when we celebrate Christmas. See, Jesus has been there from the very beginning. He's been there at all times. He's there, part of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And from the very beginning, they made creation. They formed the universe and the world and all the inhabitants with it. And when they went to go make mankind, they said, let us make them in our image. See, Jesus was a part of creation from the very beginning, and he is Lord of it all. Everything that is in our lives, everything that we experience, that we go through, everything that's around us today is because God has allowed it. You're watching this sermon right now and worshiping with us today because Jesus is Lord of all. And he is wanting you to be here and experience this, to grow you and shape you to be more like him. He's wanting me to preach this message, to shape me and mold me to be more like him as well.
Jesus is Lord of all. But is he Lord of our lives, of all of our lives? And I'm not just talking about Christmas Eve and Easter or just on Sundays. I'm talking about every second, every minute, every hour, every day of our lives. Is Jesus your Lord? Because let's be challenged with this passage here in Luke. Luke 6, 46 says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? See, our lives are marked by change from having a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus doesn't want us to, to live out of an obligation to him, but he wants us to live as an expression of gratitude towards him. Why wouldn't we want to live for Christ, for all that he has done for us, all that we have experienced as followers of Jesus, all the hope and joy that we contain. Why would we not want to live for him and share that with others? It's the greatest news that we have. Why keep it to ourselves? We are compelled and commanded to share with others. Are you living as Jesus, as your Lord? Is he the king of kings of your lives? And the question that we ask is, do our lives confess that Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king? And see, then our passage concludes with a verse that seems a little odd. Verse 30, and he, Jesus, strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Why would Jesus ask his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ? Wouldn't that be the greatest news ever that they had found the coming Messiah, that they had found that all the prophets had talked about, this is the Christ. We know exactly who he is because we know that even when they, Jesus did do that, when people did it, people would reject it. The Pharisees rejected it. Shoot, the people who were going to sing his praises in just a few months and lay palm branches down as his feet as he walks in, we're going to be the same people who yell crucify him at the end of the week. See, Jesus didn't want the knowledge of him being Christ to take away for the continued work and ministry that he had left on earth. But be encouraged that that is not the truth for us today. That verse does not stand that we're not to tell it, but it is the complete opposite. We have the great commandment that says that we are to go out and make disciples. We're to go out and tell people about Jesus. We are to go love our neighbors by telling them to love of Christ. We're to go and share everything that we have and tell them, hey, can I tell you the story, the thing that changed my life more than anything else that ever has? Can I, can I take just a minute of your time to share that with you? Hey, good friend, I know we talk about football, we talk about sports and golf and or cooking and, and baking and, and whatever people talk about. I know we talk about all these things, but can I take a moment to talk to you about Jesus and tell you why? That's the most important relationship in my life. Are our lives marked by change? Do we reflect what it actually means to have a relationship with Jesus? And so the question that we have, are we sharing the life-changing hope of Jesus in word and in deed with those in our community? Because remember, our actions speak louder than words. Who do you say Jesus is? Will you pray with me? Father God, we just thank you. Lord, what an amazing opportunity we have to be challenged, encouraged, and empowered by your word this morning. Lord, I pray um, that uh, we would experience 
the hope and joy of our salvation on a daily basis, Lord. I pray that for, if there's those who are listening and partaking in this right now, Father, that they feel that they have um, stepped back in their relationship with you, Lord, that they'd recognize that you have not gone anywhere, that they seem, simply need to turn their lives back towards you and start pursuing the righteousness that they, you called them to. Father, I pray that we would live in the light of your grace and your mercy. Father, that we would live lives of gratitude Father, and not out of obligation. God, give us the power, give us the strength, the boldness to be able to share your love even in uncomfortable and scary situations. God, I pray that you would help us to truly understand what it means that you are the Christ. Father, be with us now. We thank you for all the work that you're doing in and through this. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.